This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So Martin Luther King would have been 90, I believe, on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. We uh, remember his legacy as civil rights leader and a great American on Monday. Monday. Yes. Can we please play the street sweeper speech on Monday? Yeah, so it's like one of the best. It's the best. I think about it all the time. Be the Michelangelo street sweepers. Yeah, yeah if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper you can be. Uh, it, many, many great speeches, but sort of taking stock a little bit. Where are we at? Uh, we played this yesterday. It bears playing again. David Webb, who's a conservative talk show host on Sirius XM. Uh, and a Fox News contributor. Okay, having a conversation with uh, one of the fungible CNN contributors about uh, the basis on which people should be judged for economic opportunities. Webb was essentially making the uh, meritocracy argument and talking about how he's made his way in media from one opportunity to the other through hard work and gaining experience and the like. And then the CNN contributor chimed in and, uh, well, take a listen. I've chosen to cross different parts of the media world, done the work so that I'm qualified to be in each one. I never considered my color the issue. I considered my qualifications the issue. Well, David, you know, that that's a whole nother long conversation about white privilege and things that you have the privilege of doing that people of color don't have the privilege of. How do I have the privilege of white privilege? David, by virtue of being a white male, you have white privilege. This whole long conversation, I don't have time to get Uh, Ariva, I hate to break it to you, but you should have been better prepped. I'm black. Okay, then. Oh, wow. You went to white privilege. This is the falsehood in this. You went immediately with an assumption. Your people, obviously, or you didn't look. You're talking to a black man. They who started out in rock radio in Boston, who crossed the paths into hip-hop, rebuilding one of the greatest black stations in America, and went on to work for Fox News, where I'm told apparently blacks aren't supposed to work, but yet you come with this assumption and you go to white privilege. David, That's actually David, insulting. It is, and I apologize because my people gave me wrong information. They yeah. What they gave her is that he was a Fox News contributor, so she thought he was white. Well, she apologized for not knowing that he was black. She didn't apologize for the fraudulent argument she continued yeah. to make. She's a hack, and she privilege. hates white people. So here's the thing. Uh, Booker T. Washington wrote in his book in 1911, My Larger Education, there's a certain class of race problem solvers who do not want the patient to get well. Because as long as the disease holds out, they have not only an easy means of making a living, but also an easy medium through which to make themselves prominent before the public. So that's a description of, uh, you know, some of the modern day hustlers like Jesse Jackson in this town, like Al Sharpton. But there's something else going on, it seems to me. It's, it's something more pernicious than just the hucksters. It's not people just making a living anymore. It's people making that poison part of their life. And this is exemplified by this controversy, controversy in quotation marks, over President Trump having the Clemson football team at the White House for burgers and pizza and 
chicken nuggets and whatever else. ESPN hosts like Stephen A. Smith and the, a, a woman named Molly Karam saying that have feeding fast food to a bunch of college kids who play football for Clemson is racist. Just absurd. But I guess uh, David Webb and me, you, we need to get in the old privilege simulator. It works! <laughs> it works! Uh, a uh, <laughs> yeah, distant relative of the flux capacitor. Yes. Uh, Indiana University hosting its Unity Summit on uh, January 21st yeah, to honor Martin Luther King Day. Right. Is, this a, is this a good way to honor Martin Luther King? Privilege Simulator will be available offering event attendees an interactive, inspirational, transformative diversity education experience. So saith the university. Like Call, an actual, similar to what pilots do, they get into a little capsule and... There'll be various stations representing essential entities and systems within life, housing, employment, education, finance, healthcare, judicial system. The simulation will explore power, privilege, and systemic oppression. Each student will be given an encrypted identity tag. Then they'll have to move forward to make decisions based on and be instructed to move forward uh, to make decisions and navigate each of the station as they see, as they see fit. Can you only imagine how this is going to play out calling Aldous Huxley Aldous Huxley is that what's happening at college campuses like the privilege sim- privilege simulator is that a way to honor Martin Luther King what does that say about where we are with race relations in this country in 2019 for more on this topic we're pleased to be joined again by our friend Bob Woodson the founder and the president of the Woodson Center who was a civil rights leader in the 60s. So has a bit of background that uh, maybe that CNN contributor didn't. Bob, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. I was just pleased to be here again. Well, what about uh, the privilege simulator at uh, Indiana University, Bob? You think that uh, advances the, the flag for race relations? Well, you know, uh, it makes me, you know, I, I, I long for the days when I could confront an honest bigot because <laughs> I think a person who is is more authentic than these people who express their bigotry through patronizing blacks. Um, And and, and this is what this is all about. Um, I have a piece that I I think will will be in the Hill on the weekend where I talk about, go back and deconstruct this. Back in the civil rights movement, um, people like Baird Rustin, Dr. King, Roy Wilkins, and all the people who were a generation removed from myself, there was a constant theme that there are two elements in in black liberation. One is external, that we must confront. The other is internal. We must always address the enemy within. Uh, Chuck Swindell, the, the theologian, expressed it well when he says, external factors represent about 10% of who we are. But 90% is our attitude about the 10%. And so what I'm doing is, is going back in history and, 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 and look at how did blacks perform during the days of segregation. When, In other words, when white people were at their worst, blacks were at their best. 
for instance, um, in the, in between 18 uh, 19, um, uh, 1899 and 1954, there were uh, black high schools uh, in major cities, uh, Chicago, Lawrence Dunbar High School in Washington, Booker T. Washington in Atlanta. These were all black high schools uh, where the class sizes were like 40 to 50. They used, um, uh, uh, used textbooks. The buildings were not very sturdy. And yet blacks matriculating in these high schools out-tested and outperformed all of the white students in those cities. Out-tested them. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we went back into those same schools today and look at what the test scores are, and it is abysmal. They are suddenly only 12% today at Dunbar in math efficiency, 9% in English. And you go on in each of the schools. So the question is, if blacks could outperform whites uh, in those public schools, during the time of segregation, today those school systems are controlled by black, school boards are black. They have the highest per capita expenditure in many cases on education, and yet the, the outcome for children is absolutely abysmal. So if racism were the, were the principal uh, cause of that, then the question is, why are black children failing in institutions run by their own people today when under segregation back before 1954? Well, then what do you we think? We were outperforming yeah. them. Well, what do you think is to blame for the current poor test scores? Because a lot of those the leadership has, has morphed from champions of justice like King and others that the leaders that followed, like Jesse Jackson and others, used, once they became uh, democratic politicians, and then in the 60s, the poverty programs dumped about $22 trillion. So these same mayors and polit politicians could then uh, 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 benefit from the patronage that came from these, uh, th this federal money. So the 70% of the $22 trillion we have spent on the poor did not go to the poor. It went to people who served the poor. So a lot of these black politicians were able to dispense patronage and, and develop careers uh, on, on, on the backs of low-income people. And, and so, that, so as a consequence, poor blacks have, have become a commodity and they are served by middle-class blacks. That the biggest income gap is not between blacks and whites today, it's between upper-income blacks and, and, and lower-income blacks. Mm. But you see, this reality, you know, if, if it were, if it were uh, discussed or revealed, it would be an embarrassment. And so one of the ways to prevent the discussion of this is to associate the fail failures of low-income blacks with racism. And so that's why there's a dumbing down of the culture. They're talking about the decolonization of our curriculum. 
and that somehow teaching Beethoven and Shakespeare and Chaucer is Eurocentric and therefore irrelevant. So today at Yale University, the students petitioned the, uh, the, the English department so that you can get a BA from Yale today and never study uh, the classics of Beethoven or, 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 or Shakespeare. You can, get a, you can get a BA in English in Yale without having to study them because they were supposed to be Eurocentric and therefore racist. Um, but the middle class uh, blacks who have all these victims' books out, they studied these classics. And I bet you if you go to some of these elite private schools where middle class blacks send their children, that curriculum is not decolonized. I wonder what your reaction is and what you think the reaction is uh, uh, in, uh, among black families, if this is an area of, of that where a conversation could be started, by the, uh, frankly, religious bigotry of the likes of a Kamala Harris, the likes of a Maisie Hirano, uh, going after a judicial nominee who was a member of the, who is a member of the Knights of Columbus and essentially suggesting the Knights of Columbus, which, by the way, or abolitionists uh, stood with um, the Knights of Columbus are, are some sort of relic of white supremacy. Uh, Diane Feinstein's famous interaction with now Seventh Circuit Appellate Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett about how her Catholic faith uh, speaks loudly in her, and that was problematic. I mean, th with black families being uh, largely uh, people of uh, Christianity. I just wonder the sort of intolerance and uh, bigotry directed towards Christian men and women in this country from the left, if that's an inflection point for a conversation with the uh, black families who've otherwise affiliated with that party and those people. See, it was, it was the presence of these strong Christian values that enabled the black community to achieve what I just uh, uh, outlined in their schools. Most of the, the, uh, the, 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 the parents of those students who attended these black high schools, they were laborers, they were, they were maids, they were servants, and, and they understood and, and, and between 1930 and 1940, during the time of the Depression, um, we had a higher marriage rate than any other group in the country. And the reason that we did, it was because of the, the, the moral support and direction we received from our church. So, the, so, so that was our defense against oppression, was to be morally uh, competent and to raise our children with the highest standards and the highest expectations. That was the glue that kept black America together. And, and it's the same thing that, that's keeping uh, uh, parts of the community together again. Uh, there was something in the vote in, in uh, Florida gives us an indication of what the potential is. You know, the governor DeSantis won 19% of the black vote in Chicago. There were eight, mil I mean, in, in Florida, Florida. Right. There were 8 million votes cast. He won by 30, 32,000. 100,000 low income black families voted for him, split their vote. So. That Republican governor is, has been made governor because of the black vote. And the reason that they voted for him is because his strong support for education vouchers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and the black candidate was uh, voted with the teachers' unions against vouchers. So that is a promising uh, event that uh, low-income black people are waking up and they refuse to be victimized by the race hustlers who tell them that the most important issue to them is race, and that's what they should vote. So I'm, I'm encouraged that perhaps this can be a trend uh, going forward. Well, if you're encouraged, I'm encouraged. He is Bob Woodson, the great Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center. Bob, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.